Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Um, uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. And now we go to the second one of his kids, Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. And we find his story as he works in the midst of Jeremiah's ministry. And we find him mentioned in the book of Jeremiah chapter number 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. And if you don't mind, notice with me in Jeremiah 36. And notice with me starting at verse number 1. Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse number 1. One. Notice with me, if you don't mind, it says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of the book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations from the day that I spoke unto thee, from the days of Josiah even into this day. It might be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I might forgive their iniquity, and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neri, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth the words of the Lord and the ears of the people in the house of the Lord upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all of Judah that come out of their cities. And it may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return every one from his evil way. For great is the anger and fury of the Lord hath pronounced against this people. And Baruch the son of Neri did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading in the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah in unto Jerusalem. Then read Baruch in the, the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah the son of Shaphan the scribe in the higher court and the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house and the ears of all the people. And when Micaiah the son of Gemariah the son of Shaphan heard out of the book of all the words of the Lord. Then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and lo, all the princes sat there, even Elishima, the scribe, and Delilah, the son of Shemaiah, and Elnathan, or Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and <coughs> Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. And then Micaiah, 
declared unto them all the words that he had read, heard when Baruch read the words in the ears of the people. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudiai, the son of Nethani, the son of Shemali, the son of Cushai, unto Baruch, saying, Take thine in thy hand the roll which thou was read into the ears of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neri, took the roll in his hand and came unto him. And they said unto him, Sit down now, read in it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. Now it came to pass, when they had heard all the words, they were afraid, both one and another. And they said unto Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how didst thou write all the words at his mouth? Then Baruch answered and said, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. And they went into the king, into into the king, into the court. But they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king set, sent Jehudiah to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudiah read it in the ears of the king, and in the ears of all the princes that stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month. And there was a fire in the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudiah read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was in the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard the words. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Delilah, or Delilah and Gamara had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear him. But the king commanded Jehermel, the son of Hemelech, and Sarai, the son of Azrael, and Shalami, the son of Ebenel, to take Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burnt the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, take thee again another roll and write it all the former things which were in the first roll which Jehoiakim the king of Judah hath burned. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burnt this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall surely come and destroy this land, and cause to cease from thence men and beasts? Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat, and in the night to the frost. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and upon all the men of Judah, and all the evil that I have pronounced against them. But they hearken not. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neri, who wrote therein from the words 
from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burnt in the fire, and there were many added besides unto them many like words. And with this pretty lengthy passage we read, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Jeremiah chapter 36? Jeremiah chapter 36, so notice with me in verse number 30, what is pronounced to the king Jehoiakim at this time. Verse number 30, he shall have none sit upon the throne of David. He shall have none sit upon the throne of David. And with this, as we do a character study of Jehoiakim, we also want to see what is pronounced in his life, and maybe we could summarize it like this, the curse of Jehoiakim. The curse of Jehoiakim. And with this, let's see why there was a curse pronounced to this king, Jehoiakim. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would just give us grace and that you would give us mercy. As we understand that this passage is giving history, but this passage is also teaching doctrine about your word and how important your word is to you. I'm asking that you would help us to have an understanding and see that you're a God who is in control over all. With this, please fill me with your spirit that you would guide and direct my tongue, my thoughts, my ways, that it be all pleasing to you and that you would use them as you see fit as a sovereign, righteous God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, God had pronounced a curse upon Jehoiakim. And this curse said that anyone who was blood related to him that sat on the throne would be cursed after him. Now, this is a big deal because we're studying the lineage of Jesus Christ. And in the lineage of Jesus Christ, in the middle of it, you finally have a king who aggravates God so badly that God says, Listen here, I'm now putting a curse. Any other king that is blood related to this king who is to inherit the, king of, uh, the throne of David, they're going to be cursed. They're going to die. There's no one who's going to sit on the throne of God, uh, throne of David, and rule that's blood related to Zedekiah. And during this curse, you can almost see Satan say, I've got him. If you've ever played chess, where there's a place where you think that you have um, the other opposite uh, opponent, that you have them where they're almost beat. And with it, you say, check. And that check is a warning that, listen, you better be careful because your next move, you're going to lose. <clears throat> so with this, God had made a prophecy about the lineage of Jesus Christ. God had made a specific prophecy to David that there was always going to be someone from David's lineage who was going to inherit the kingdom, uh, this throne room and was going to rule forever. But now you have a king who so aggravated God that God says, Listen, there's now a curse upon anyone that is blood related to Jehoiakim, the rightful ruler, the rightful descendant in this lineage of David, who's also blood related to Jehoiakim and going to inherit the throne room of David. Whoever sits upon that throne is going to be cursed. And Satan says, Yes, look at this. God cannot fulfill his promise. God is now cornered. Look at what man has done. Man has aggravated God. And we have this 
important curse, which is very interesting to look in the light of of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Remember we're tracing through. The kingly line. Of Jesus Christ. We're tracing through. Adam. To Noah. To David. And now to Jehoiakim. And we know that the lineage is supposed to go on. How does God rectify this? How does he rectify when someone is aggravated God so much. That there's a curse pronounced to them. Anyone that's blood related. That's going to inherit this throne through blood. Is now cursed. How does this figure out? Well before we talk about the curse itself. Perhaps it would be wise for us to mention why he was cursed. What did he do that aggravated God so much that he said, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with this. You're now cursed. Now, we know that God is slow to anger and he's plenteous in mercy. What could he have done that God said, I'm just, I'm done. I'm fed up. We're done. What is it? Well, there was a two-pronged charge. We're not going to cover one. But in the book of Jeremiah 26, Jehoiakim actually kills a prophet by the name of Uriah. Because Uriah with fear and trembling goes up to him and says, Listen, God's not happy with you. You need to fix your ways. And then he got scared and took off and ran. And the king sent a hit squad after him to Egypt to go drag him away and kill him. And God says, Nope, nope. I tried to warn you. You killed my prophet. That's one. What was this other thing that God said, you're done, you're over with? Well, it's all centered around God's word. May I show you why he deserved this curse? Why was it that God gave him the curse? And then we'll talk about this curse afterwards. But first of all, as we talk about this, let's see, first of all, the power of God's word. The power of God's word. Now, when the next feast day came in Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah had worked with Baruch and they actually uh, recorded most of the book of Jeremiah at this time. Remember that Jeremiah is not in chronological order, but it actually happens piecemeal. And so as they're putting together the book of Jeremiah, a good portion of Jeremiah has already been completed. And so now they're writing it down that Jeremiah is speaking to Baruch, Baruch's writing it down and they're pinning exactly what God has given to do. Then Jeremiah says, all right, Baruch, I can't go out, but I want you to go out on the feast day and I want you to take the word of God and I want you to read it out loud to everyone there at God's house. And I want you to read to anyone that's passing by, anyone that comes from there that's visiting. I want you to be reading this book of Jeremiah, this book that we just got through reading in front of the people. Why? Because the book of Jeremiah is trying to warn the whole country that judgment is coming. The Babylonians are coming. Now's the time to get right. Now's the time. Now, this isn't a popular message because the Hebrew people are thinking, listen, we're God's people. There's nothing that could ever happen to us. God won't send destruction on us. We're fine as we are. We can't do anything wrong because we're God's people. And that's very much opposite of what God's message was. And so to hear Jeremiah's message and to receive it was to recognize that they were a sinner and because of their sin that they deserved a judgment from God. But the only hope that they had is that they repented and turned to God and asked God for forgiveness. The problem was is the people didn't recognize that they were sinners. No, no, we're good. We're right. We're God's people. We don't have to repent over everything. So the choice was, was to keep their pride 
or to turn to God's message. And so we could see the power of God's word as Jeremiah sends Baruch out there to start preaching God's word. Notice if you don't mind, we'll pick it up in verse number 9. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that in the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and all the people that came from the cities of Jerusalem. Then read Barak in the book of the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. And so it talks about where they read it at. And in verse number 11, there was someone who heard about it. So he went to the king's house, verse number 12, and told everybody, Hey, this guy who works with Jeremiah Baruch, he's reading something. I think it's scripture. It's telling that God's going to destroy everything if we don't get right. You guys need to hear this message. You know, there's something about hearing God's message and the power of it. They recognize this was from God. They also recognize that the king probably wouldn't like this message. Notice if you don't mind in verse number uh, 14. Then all the princes sent Jehudiai, the son of, and it goes on and gives the list of the names, unto Baruch saying, take in thine hand the roll which thou hast read to the ears of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neri, uh, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. And they said, sit down. And read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. Now when it came to pass. When they heard all the words. They were afraid both one and another. And said to Baruch. We will surely tell the king of all these words. Now they, they listened to it. And as they listened to the word of God. God's spirit convicted them. And they were afraid and said. Oh man God's not happy with us. The king's we got to tell the king this. This is important. We've got to tell others. But they said, before we do this, let's pause. Verse number 17. They asked Baruch saying, tell us now, how did they write all the words at his mouth? And Baruch, uh, they asked Baruch said, how did you get this scripture? And this is obviously God's word. They're recognizing that God spoke it. How did you get this? Well, that's an important question. How did we get the Bible? How did we get the book of Jeremiah? How did it come to pass? Well, notice Baruch's answer. Verse number 18. Then Baruch answered them, He pronounced all the words unto me in his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. What we see here is this is exactly how the Bible was recorded. May I hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter towards the end of the Bible. And I want to show you this is how we got God's word in the first place. Notice with me the book of 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're turning back to Jeremiah in just a bit to finish the story. But notice with me as we just take a quick pit stop in 2 Peter chapter number 1. Notice with me in verse number 20. 2 Peter chapter number 1 verse 20. Knowing this first. That means this is very important. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. What that means is that it doesn't mean something different to you than it means something to me. We need to find out what did God mean by it. God meant one thing by it. Verse number 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake. As they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So how did we get God's word? You had holy men of God who were surrendered to God. That God spake to them. And they gave God's word. How did Baruch get the word of God? Jeremiah said write this down. 
and he wrote it down. That's exactly how we got the word of God. The Holy Spirit spake and gave them the words and they recorded the words. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? It's not complex. God gave them the words and the human penman recorded the words. We call this inspiration, meaning that God inspired, God breathed his words, that this Bible is not man's Bible, meaning that man did not write this. God wrote this using human penmen. Aren't you glad they asked him, Baruch, how did you get this? This is obviously from God. How did you get that? Quite simple. Jeremiah told me what to write and I wrote it. Here you go. That's how God gave us his word. God gave us the word. He you, you moved human penmen. They wrote down God's word. And there you go. Remember that this is a supernatural doctrine. God gave us his word using human penmen. Baruch saying, this is God's word. I'm glad you recognize it. All I was was a penman. It didn't come from me. I didn't make it up. I was just told what to write. Which now brings us to a second thing. We see the pen knife upon God's word. We started with the power of God's word. That they heard God's word. They recognized it was from God. But then we see the pen knife upon God's word. Alright. So we have someone who's antagonistic towards God's word. So the princes tell Baruch in verse number 19. Hey you take Jeremiah and you go hide somewhere. Because we got to go tell the king. And he's not going to like your message. Jeremiah 36 verse 20. And they went to the king of the court. And they laid up the roll. So they went and put it in some other guy's room. And they go and tell the king in verse 21. Hey we just heard God's word. And this is what God said. And he said this and he said this and he said this. And this is what's going to happen. And the king says wait a second. Where'd you get this from? Well, we have a role from the prophet Jeremiah. It's definitely God's word. We recognize it's God's word. The king said, listen, you go get that role. Bring it here. And so Jehodiah came and grabbed the role, came and says, king says, all right, I want to hear it for myself. You told me about God's word. I want someone to actually read it to me. So go ahead and start reading. And so they started reading verse number 23. And it came to pass when Jehodiah had read three or four leaves, that's three or four pages. So if you could imagine they're using scrolls there. So the first page he reads it. This is what God's word says. All right, the second one. Third one, the king says, all right, that's enough. That's enough. And then the king says, let me have it. Okay. And the king took his knife and cut up God's word. And then he threw it in a fire. That's what I think about God's word. And everybody, there was some people trying to stop him. Don't, don't, don't do that. And the king says, no, no, gone. Tossed it. And it's in the fire. All of it's burnt up. It's gone. By the way, this is why God's pronouncing it. Clearly everyone else recognized it was God's word. But when it brought to the king, I don't like that message. You know what? Let's just get rid of it. That's what I'll do. I'm going to get rid of God's word. And if I burn it up, if it's the only copy, you can almost imagine. Is this the only copy? Yep. Remember, they didn't have printing presses or computers or Xeroxes or whatever else. Baruch had to write all of that by hand. Can you imagine taking the entire book of Jeremiah and writing it by hand? As someone's dictating it to you and trying to make it so it's readable and you can't make mistakes and writing it down. This was a lot of work that went into this manuscript. Is this the only copy? Good. All right. Well, then I'm going to get rid of it. And then it never existed. I can't be held accountable if we don't have a copy of it. It's all gone. 
And he tossed it. And the rest of the princes that were there, nobody was afraid. No one was scared. No one said, hey, maybe this is a bad idea. I mean, you had a couple people that was in there. Don't do this. But all the leadership, they're like, no big deal. We're glad it's gone. Can't bother of us if we don't have our own copy. This is a big deal. Then on top of that, to make sure there was no more copies out there, the king says, guess what? Go put a death sentence for Baruch and Jeremiah. If they're gone, no one can even say it exists. It's all gone. This is why God has put a judgment, put a curse upon Jehoiakim. That when he received God's word, he tossed it aside. Remember, it wasn't Jeremiah's word and it wasn't Baruch's word. It was God's word. And here's someone who said, this is what I think of it. I don't want to obey what God says, so I'm getting rid of it. Thankfully, God had hid Jeremiah at this time. Which now brings me to one other interesting idea. As we're still talking about why did he get cursed? We see the preservation of God's word. Now, I want you to be thinking about this. Jeremiah was told by God to write down this book. So Baruch, come here. I'm going to give you the words. You write them down. Yes, sir. And so they write it down. A whole bunch of rolls. And so Jeremiah told Baruch to go out and read it to everyone. And everyone's hearing it and said, wow, that's God's word. That's amazing. And the princes, heard, uh, some higher ranking people heard it. Oh man, where'd you get this from? I wrote it down as Jeremiah gave me the words. This is God's word. Oh, we got to tell the king this. The king needs to hear this. So they knew the king wasn't going to be happy with this. So they tell Jeremiah and Baruch to go hide. They actually put the scriptures somewhere else. And they just tell the king about the scriptures. And the king says, no, no, no. I want to hear it, for, I want to hear it live. So come read the Bible to me. They open up God's word. They read it. King doesn't like it. He cuts it up, throws it away. No more scriptures. No more Bible. Now, I want you to think about in heaven. Do you think God's watching this? He's watching the throne room. He watches the king cut it up. He watches the king throw it in the fire. And you think God's going, No! That's my only copy. What am I going to do now? How am I going to figure out what I put down? How am I going to remember what I said? It's a, well, no, we're all, what happens now? Do you think God was panicking up in heaven? Do you think God was freaking out? Do you think God was trying to figure out, oh, can I remember what all was said? Notice what God does. Verse number 27. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had rolled the, burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, this is what God said, take thee again another roll and write into it all the former words that were written in the first roll which Jehoiakim the king of Judah had burned. And it goes on and gives some more and talks about the curse. But then notice with me verse number 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neri, who wrote them from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim king of Judah had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. You know what happened? God says, all right, well, I wasn't finished with that book anyways. We're going to give you everything we gave before. And then we're going to add to it. We're going to give you some more chapters. 
Because we're not done now. We're now we've got to write about the curse that just happened to Jehoiakim. And we've got to write about what happens afterwards. You know, God... Man may try to mess with God's word, but God knew exactly what his word was supposed to be. And God is able to supernaturally preserve his word. Now this is an important doctrine that God is able to preserve his word. Maybe hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of Psalm. Psalm 12. Psalm 12. Now we saw inspiration before. What is a good picture of inspiration. A good picture of inspiration is that Jeremiah spoke to Baruch and Baruch wrote down the exact words that he was told to write. We saw that this is what inspiration is. That God moves the human penman and the human penman writes down exactly what God wanted. Then we come to Psalm 12. Notice with me Psalm 12 and verse number 6. Psalm 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. In verse number 6 we have once again another picture of inspiration by showing the purity of God's word. Now back then in the ancient world, even today we do it chemically, but in the ancient world... That whenever you would have a metal that you want to become more pure, you would put it in a refining process by adding heat. And what happens is that different elements melt at different temperatures. And so as you would heat up gold or heat up silver, the silver you're trying to get to a temperature where it melts. And what happens is the impurities found in the silver or gold or copper or brass rise to the top. Then you scrape off the top that that scraping is called the dross, the waste material. And in wisdom of the ancient world, that if you went through this refining process of heating up the metals and scape, scraping off all the impurities, if you did this seven times, then you would have as close to of a pure material as you possibly could. And so in verse number six, it's talking about God's word, their pure words, just as if you had refined it seven different times. Now, it's a picture. It's not telling us that the Bible had to go through seven different translations before we got God's pure word. It was pure when God had him penned. It's as pure as you could possibly get. This is inspiration. Verse number seven, thou shall keep them. Now we have pronouns here. We have to discern the pronouns. Thou, who's the thou there? Well, we continue in verse seven. Thou shall keep them, O Lord. With this thou here is a pronoun of direct address. Thou, you, God, O Lord. You're the person I'm talking to. O Lord, thou shall keep them. So we see God shall keep them. What's this them here? Well, inside of this text, we have the antecedent, the word that this pronoun replaced. And you usually look above in the verse or the passage before to find what are they talking about. In verse number six, what are we talking about? The words of the Lord. So verse number seven, thou, O Lord, shall keep them God's word. So it is God's job to keep his word. Thou, O Lord, shall preserve them, God's word, from this generation forever. We find this as a doctrine called preservation. Preservation. That God supernaturally preserves his word. Now, for inspiration, did God use human penmen? 
Absolutely. Was it dependent upon human penmen? No, it was dependent upon God. God supernaturally gave his word. Now for preservation, can he use human penmen to preserve his word? Yes. Is it dependent upon humans? No. It is dependent upon God. It is God's job to preserve his word. As we turn back to Jeremiah chapter 36, we have the picture of inspiration. Jeremiah spoke to Baruch and Baruch wrote down the words as Jeremiah spoke it. Inspiration. Then we have the 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 picture of preservation. That here they go, the word of God is destroyed, but God didn't panic. He didn't figure out what am I going to write. He said, just do it again. Here's all the words we gave you before. Oh, by the way, here's some more too. God supernaturally preserved his word. When the word of God was destroyed and the only physical copy on earth was destroyed, it did not ruin the scripture because God remembered what he wrote. And is able to give exactly again. By the way, may I pause here? Is God able to still keep his word? Yes. Does man mess things up? Sure. But can God override that and still give us exactly what he gave, wanted us to have? Yes. Because it's God's job to keep his word, not man. Why doesn't he trust man? Because we'd mess it up. And we would. But it's not dependent on man. God knew exactly what his word was. And he's able to supernaturally make sure that we keep God's word. Now, do some people try to mishandle the Bible and misuse it to cut it up, to destroy it? There used to be people called deists. And the deist, Thomas Jefferson was claimed to be one. And there used to be something called the Thomas Jefferson Bible where Thomas Jefferson took a pen knife and actually cut out the parts of scripture he didn't like. And so he had a Bible full of holes and all he had left was what he wanted. Well, did God freak out and say, No! How am I going to remember what you cut out before? How am I going to get all those pieces back in? Now, you know the Bible says that His Word is forever settled in heaven. And God has a Bible up in heaven. May I also ask you a question? Does God have a different Bible in heaven than what we have? No. Because God is able to keep His Word and make sure that we have the same exact thing He has. Because he's able to preserve it. Preservation is just as a supernatural doctrine as inspiration. Because it is God that has to inspire it. And God that has to preserve it. And again we see in this passage that God protected his word. He didn't lose it. He didn't freak out. He didn't wonder what's happened. Same thing with the Ten Commandments. Remember when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? And Moses comes down off the mountain and he sees the people all sinning and things. What did he do with the Ten Commandments? He broke them. Did God say, no Moses, we spent 40 days giving you this. How am I supposed to remember what happened? put on them? Did God freak out? God knew exactly what he was going to do. Man may try to mess things up. But God always knows how to win the battle. Now, let's plan this. Remember we talked about the curse of Jehoiakim. Here's a man who messed up horribly. And he messed up so badly that God said, Listen, I put a curse on anyone that's blood related to you, the rightful king, who inherits the kingdom and is blood related to you. I just, I'm done. And Satan's going, oh, goody, 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 goody. God, he can't, God can't keep his word. God finally messed up. I got him now. 
Remember, no matter how badly man messes up, God is smarter than us and knows everything. He didn't freak out when Jehoiakim cut up the scriptures. And he didn't freak out when Jehoiakim was so bad that God put a curse upon him. Now, the curse upon him is pretty bad, isn't it? So how in the world can God get around this? Especially when God promised in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David that there would always be someone blood related to David who inherits the kingly title. That's a promise. How does he solve that? Well, if you don't mind, turn with me to the gospel record of Matthew. The gospel record of Matthew. And the gospel record of Matthew chapter 1, which we're very familiar with, is the lineage of Jesus Christ through his kingly line. And if you notice that <laughs> during this time that God... Um, is recording this. Now, by the way, Jehoiakim was so uh, aggravated with, with um, Jehoiakim. God was so aggravated with him that he put this curse on him. Notice if you don't mind, let's get a running start. Verse 6. Matthew chapter 1 verse 6. And Jesse beget David the king. So here's the kingly line uh, from David. And David the king beget Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. And Solomon beget Rehoboam. And Rehoboam beget Abia. And Abia beget Asa. And Asa beget Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat beget Jehoram. Jehoram beget Oseas, or Uzziah. Uzziah beget Jotham. Jotham beget Achaz. Achaz beget uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah beget Manassas. Now again, I'm putting the Hebrew pronunciation because we're familiar with those words. Manassas beget Ammon. Ammon beget Josias. Josias beget Jehoinias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. But notice, the lineage continues. And after that, they were brought to Babylon. Jehoinias beget Selethiel. Selethiel beget Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel beget Abed. Abed beget Elikim. Elikim beget Azor. Azor beget Zadok. Zadok beget Achim. Achim beget Iliad. Iliad beget uh, Eleazar. Eleazar beget Methan. Methan beget Jacob. And Jacob beget Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, theological question. Was Jesus Christ blood related to Jacob? Jacob was Jesus' stepfather. Not biological father. But the kingly line goes through Joseph. And that Joseph, if there was a king in Jerusalem during the time, would have and should have been the king. But he was not. But the kingly line went through Joseph and went to his stepson, Jesus. Then we come in the gospel record of Luke, and we're not going to turn there. But in the gospel record of Luke, it portrays the bloodline of Jesus through David. Through Mary. Was Jesus blood related to Mary? He was. And so how did God solve this conundrum? He allowed Jesus to inherit the kingly line through his stepfather. While st still being blood related to David. Through the bloodline through Mary. See we have a smart God. It was a conundrum to him. But God had already had it solved. 
And this is, wasn't it amazing that he allowed Mary and Joseph, the kingly line and the bloodline to come together? It's almost like God knew what he was doing the whole time. It's almost like God is a smart God. So what do we learn from this? That we know that human sin and consequences never hinder God's plan or cannot hinder God's plan. Here's Jehoiachin, Kim, Jehoiakim, who got, said, I don't want to listen to God's word and took God's word, the only copy of Jeremiah that was existence at that time and try to destroy it so it can never come to, come to surface. Did that disrupt God's plan? No. Here's Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin, who aggravated God by killing his prophet, by threatening Jeremiah, destroying God's word. And God said, I haven't had enough. I just can't stand it no more. You're done. Anybody who is blood related to you, Jehoiachin, and is going to sit on the throne, both of those things are qualifiers, is going to be cursed. And we'll see that with his son, Jehoiachin. We'll see that next time. And, um, did God say, oh no, look, I just, you aggravated me so bad that I just, now I don't know what to do. How am I going to solve this? Did that disrupt God at all? Not at all. You understand that we as humans are stupid and we're weak and we're pathetic and we mess up when we fail. But aren't you glad that there's a God who could use our human failings and still get his work accomplished? What I'm trying to do is I'm encouraging you. We got such a great God. You know that when God called you to do a service for him, he already took into consideration all the times that you're going to fail him and still said, I want to use you anyways. Hey, I already know how bad you're going to mess up. It did not catch God by surprise when you messed up. He already calculated for it and still said, I still want to use you. That's how great of a God that he is. That he could use us in all of our failings. And it didn't disrupt God's plan. Sometimes people get in a pity disease. A pity party. And they look to their place. I can never use God. I just mess up everything I do. And if I try to serve God. I'm going to mess things up too. God says. I'm not worried about it. I could use your mess ups. Sometimes we mess things up for the better. Because God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And so I wanted to give you encouragement because time after time, there are times that Satan will say, listen, you messed up so badly now. You, you're a disaster. You got God in a place where he just can't use you. <laughs> Remember that God is bigger than any of that. God knows how to do it. You say, well, I messed up. Praise the Lord. Count it all joy. Go to God and say, God, I messed up. But I'm so thankful you're bigger than my mess ups. And you could still use me if I come to you and forgive. I'm trying to give you a thing of hope. This is a horrible thing here. But what we see in both fronts. Is that here is a guy who messed up royally bad. And it did not disrupt God's plan. It did not mess up from what God already had in mind. No one else knew what happened. Everyone else looked and said, Oh, God must not be able to keep his word. I mean, it, it, it got messed up so bad. And by the way, we don't blame God. We blame man. He just messed God's up. To, I mean, what is God going to do? But they didn't mess up God at all. Isn't that a wonderful? I want to give you encouragement. 
that we have a bigger God than all of our sin. We have a bigger God than all of our mess ups. We can trust him. There are people that try to lie to you and try to say that God's word's messed up, has errors, that man's messed it up. Don't believe them. God knows how to take care of his word. At the same time, your flesh may lie to you and say, listen, you're useless. You're a piece of trash. You, you mess up all the time. Let me tell you, don't let your flesh lie to you. God says, don't worry about it. I've already got this plan. I already knew you were going to. I knew you were going to mess up before you messed up. In fact, I try to tell you not to mess up and you did it anyways. But don't worry, I can still use you if you allow yourself to be used. Isn't that encouraging? That he could use someone like me who messes up. And it didn't disrupt God's plan. God says, no, Lord, just keep going. Let's keep moving forward. Don't let it be a hindrance. What a great God that we have. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.